Thanks, team. You guys have done incredible. Can we encourage the musicians this morning? That'll be great. So good to be here. And uh, I firstly just want to um, just to acknowledge um, Pastor Rob and Pauline Santosofano, obviously who pastor here. One for making uh, your church available to host today. So we are grateful for that. Also want to acknowledge uh, the great contribution uh, Pastor Rob is making and serving on our state executive and uh, as you know we're a new executive and still uh, just coming together and finding our way but uh, Rob's uh, been a great blessing and encouragement uh, and brings so much to that and um, you know also just want to acknowledge the work that you're doing in bringing the region together to make days like today happen that's super important and uh, so good to see you guys and girls gathering together like this get sick of me saying this but we are better together we really are and for me that's not a cliche it's the truth Uh, why on earth would we want to do any of what we do in ministry without the ability to have each other like this Uh, to sit around tables together and understand each other our worlds look so different yet they look so similar and um, I know I value the opportunity to sit with other pastors and leaders uh, and just understand each other and uh you know, I genuinely believe that city, regional, country, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, there might be some differences culturally in some areas, but from a kingdom culture point of view, we're all in the same boat and we're all rowing in the same direction. And um, it doesn't matter uh, where you're from, uh, whether you have um, a church of one or a church of a thousand, we're still in the same boat rowing in the same direction. Uh, on that, I think sometimes we measure all the wrong things. Um, measure how many and I always believe and what I'm excited about today and the things we're going to do today is I'm a big believer and it's not how many are in the room it's who and uh, more can be done when you've got the right people in the room rather than a crowd uh, in the room (laughs) and uh, that's not to say that things shouldn't grow uh, and that we don't want to of course but uh, never underestimate the power of who's in the room so I'm excited because of who's in the room this morning and what that means for the region and so uh, thank you to you all Um, where are all our senior pastors, can you just stand? You pastor your church. I'll give you the cue. All right, so Matt George, you're at Tumby Bay. Pauline, I'll let you start. Where are you guys from? Port Lincoln. Stuart, Regina John, Wyala, John, sorry, I do know that. John, Kimber, Richard from Uganda. Peace, Stuart. Uh, hang on, stay standing, all our senior pastors. Um, Stuart, you think, and we always celebrate you, and we will continue to celebrate you at state meetings because you come from a long, long way. But Richard's got you in stays, brother. Well, <laughs> but um, stay standing, Richard. I just want to say to uh, all of you as senior pastors, thank you uh, on behalf of uh, the ACC in South Australia and also nationally. Thank you for what you do and what you carry. Uh, in your town and in your church. Um, We're grateful for all our teams and all our support. We are a team and we do it all together, but the journey of a senior pastor and the weight you carry doesn't get transferred to someone else. Um, I thought that I had it tough as a youth pastor. (laughs) Then I realized when I became a senior pastor how easy I had it as a youth pastor because there's a weight that you carry as a senior pastor that you cannot... You don't hand it off. It's it's something that you've got to wrestle with God over. And um, we wrestle for people. And and, uh, 
stuff happens in your thinking and stuff happens in your life that your feelings and your thoughts may never know of. And uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to you on behalf of our movement for all that you do, the load you carry, the passion you have, the years of service and the fact that you just keep going. So can we encourage our senior pastors this morning? Fantastic. Very good. You may be seated. Hey, so today uh, I want to get really practical. Um, I I guess something that you pick up with me and learn from me is that I don't believe coming together uh, as a state, uh, as senior pastors and leaders, is that um, as the president that I just come and bring you something I preach to my church on Sunday. Uh, I don't believe that I preach to my church on Sunday sharing to help us as leaders because this is a different forum. And, and so I think the conversation that we need to be having does look different to what happens on Sundays. And so today I do want to get quite practical. And to help me set up today uh, and some thoughts I'm going to do in this first section, I wonder if you can have a look to the screen. Um, it was very, very, um, I was very, very blessed to ring Andy Stanley uh, the other day and say, look, Pastor Andy, would you be able to contribute to our state pastor's uh, regional meeting? Um, he said, look, Josh, I won't be able to fly in, but how about I record something? I said, Pastor Andy, that was fantastic. That would really help. So uh, a message from Pastor Andy Stanley, uh, a great, uh, he's a part of a, sorry. You'll work out for you. You know more than you think you know. You are not as behind as you may feel like you are behind. You have something to offer. And sometimes it's as simple as sending an email out with an article you read and say, hey, I just read this article, thought you might enjoy reading this. I'm just, I'm just giving you, I'm passing on to you something that's helped me. Here's a book I've read. Every once in a while, I'll get you know three or four or five of our middle management kind of people, people who don't report to me, people who never spend time with me, but people who I think are really sharp leaders, you know, men and women who I think, gosh, so glad they're in this organization. I want to make sure they know what I know about something. And I'll say, hey, I want us to spend a few weeks together and go through a book together. Hey, I want us to meet for breakfast for three or four or five um, Thursday mornings or every other Thursday morning. And I want you guys to come up with three questions and just we'll meet. I'm, there's no agenda. You set the questions. I'll answer the questions. I buy breakfast. It's just in a way, it's just an opportunity to make sure I'm not going to fill their cup. It's not even my responsibility. I'm looking for a way to empty mine. The guy that did this for me years ago is a guy named Charlie Renfro. Charlie had an outdoor business, very successful guy. He just saw something in me in my late 20s and said, Andy, let's have breakfast. And so that began an every other Tuesday morning breakfast that went on for years. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Charlie would walk in, he'd be in a suit, he'd have cufflinks, he was all decked out, he was very successful in his cool BMW that, you know, back, the, the, you know, back when, you know, there weren't even that many in the city of Atlanta, it didn't seem like, he just had it all going on. He'd walk into the original house of pancakes and I'm, I was working for my dad, really didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And Charlie would sit down and he'd come in and say hello to everybody in the restaurant. I'd get there early because I got my questions, you know, and he'd sit down and he'd smack this big old gold ring on the table and he'd say, Andy, what you working on big? What you working on big? I'm like, nothing. I know, nothing. And I'm thinking, okay, like big in my world is I took 40 kids to Six Flags and I got them all home safely. Is that big? You know, he's on his way to New York to do battle with the bankers because his company's upside down and he's talking about things I don't even understand. What you working on big, Andy? Come on, what you working on big? Like nothing. But week after week after week, Charlie sits down and asks me that question. It finally dawned on me. Charlie thinks I can work on big stuff. Charlie thinks my life kind of life that may one day have responsibility for the big stuff. And Charlie's still a dear friend of mine after 25, 26 years. And every once in a while when we're doing something big, we're raising a bunch of money or giving away millions of dollars for stuff or building a new building, I'll get a text from Charlie. 
He'll say, now that is a man. Now I'm telling you, 26 years later, I'm still talking about Charlie Renfro because he saw in me the potential as a next generation leader. He decided, I've got a little bit of time for that one guy. No agenda. I'm just going to walk in and you ask me the questions. He taught me the, the, the principle of the 500-pound gorilla. 500-pound gorilla you know, principle is when there's conflict and when there's issues and there's people you want to avoid, you walk up to the cage, you open the cage, and you invite the 500-pound gorilla into the room. And there were times I was trying to avoid conflict and avoid people, and this was difficult. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a 500-pound gorilla. Andy, you go down there, you open that cage, and you invite it into the room. Don't you run from that. 26 years later, I'm still talking about it. Still something every once in a while, I look at my wrist, and it says, what would Charlie do? That's, that, you know, my wristband is WWCD. What would Charlie do? I mean, Jesus too, but Charlie, you know, I, Charlie, <laughs> he told me what to do. Now, my point is this. You can do that for somebody. You can do that for somebody. I know what your objection is. You know, well, Andy, when I'm the boss, I'll start doing this when I'm the boss. As soon as I'm the boss, you know, I'll start, I'll start doing this, okay? Let me just tell you why this isn't true. If you don't start it now, you won't do it then. Because once you are the boss, you will think you became the boss by hoarding and not helping. You will think you became the boss because it was all about you, not beyond you. But if you start now becoming a beyond you leadership, a leader, if you commit now to becoming a beyond you leader, if you just take some baby steps, if you start, start thinking out the box, outside the box, if you find those one or two people that have extraordinary potential in your organization and you begin to invest in them, you will have something to show for your leadership just beyond the things that you accumulated. You are going to accumulate the rewards of your success just because you're leaders. I mean, that's going to happen. The question is, who are you bringing along with you? The question is, who's coming along behind you? The question is, who are you around almost every single day? And a little bit of leverage, a little bit of empowerment would go a long, long way. I'll just close with this. If your leadership isn't all about you, it will live beyond you. If your leadership isn't all about you, it will live beyond you. Now listen, but if your leadership is all about you, it will not live beyond you other than the fact that you will serve as someone's bad example. And there's not a person in this room, there's not a person listening or watching that wants it. You have the potential to be a beyond you leader. And the time to begin exercising your beyond you muscles is right now where you are with the influence you have, where you are currently employed, the industry you're currently working in, the job you currently have. There you go. Good. So today what I want to do is uh, I want to unpack that a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about pour out leadership or empty your cup style leadership. And we're going to get practical with it today. You know, um, what, one of the things I hear in conversations now and, um, is people saying there's a leadership vacuum in our churches. And I just want to, right at the very start today, I want to burst a bubble of thinking when it comes to this perception of a leadership vacuum, because I, I do believe there is, that that does exist. I think there is a leadership vacuum. I actually agree with that statement. But what I don't agree with is the mentality that says, oh, the big churches, it's okay for them, they've got lots of leaders. Because do you know that where I hear the comment from the most is actually from large churches? I could tell you some of the large churches that I've spoken to who are going, we've got a leadership vacuum. 
And so they might have a large attendance, but actually those who will step up into roles of leadership and want to lay their life down and want to take a next step and be a part of leading other people. I'm hearing it from churches of 500, a church in Adelaide of, of over 1,000 people saying, we've got a leadership vacuum. And so I guess what I'm trying to say this morning, it's not a size issue, right? So you might be here today and you might go, well, my church is not large in the context of a mega church or I don't have 500 or I don't even have 200, whatever. But I just want to, right at the start of this conversation today, burst that bubble of thinking that says, just because you have more people in attendance, I'm going to have more leaders, right? Because this is the deal with leadership. I do believe leaders are born, right? There are some people and you think, oh man, they're a natural born leader, right? And they do come through and we've got one that's come through our church and you go, there's no doubt, like there's just a gift of leadership and it seems so natural to that person. But here's the thing, if, if you and I as pastors and as leaders of churches are waiting for ready born leaders to walk in our doors, we are going to be waiting. We're going to be waiting and there is going to be a mandate that God's called us to that we're going to miss while we're waiting for that ready-born leader. And you know what? I'm no different to you. The easy way home is for that ready-born leader to come in and just fix the issue that I've got right now. But when there's not many ready-born leaders, it leaves us then with one, only one other option in my mind, and that is you and I have to be people who develop leaders. We have to be about leadership development. And the greatest developer of leaders, who do you think it is? Who's the greatest developer of a leader? It's a bit of a trick question. Leaders. Leaders develop the best leaders. So if you're a leader in this room, and that's why I showed Andy, because just a few things that he said, I hope encourage you to go, you know what, there's more in you than you know. You know more than you think you do, You've got more going on that you're not that, you're not as out of the loop as you think you are. You're not far behind because the greatest developer of leaders for your church are your leaders. Leaders develop leaders. Don't we recreate after our own self? Isn't that discipleship? In, in following after Jesus, what's the whole process and the whole idea of discipleship? To become more like him, not to become less like him. So if you and I have a mantle of leadership on our life, we can't handball that mantle of leadership somewhere else, hoping, therefore, that we're going to develop leaders. The only way we're going to develop leaders in our churches and in our context is if we understand that as leaders, our mandate is to develop and pour out and see other people grow and develop into leaders. Leaders grow leaders. Leaders develop leaders. Do you agree with that? I like where Andy goes with this, that as leaders, it's our role not to fill up our cup, but it's to empty it. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't have a devotional life. Don't, don't listen to what he's not saying. He's not saying that we shouldn't grow. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is that there is a temptation for many leaders to feel like they have to know everything and be everything. And that is a massive temptation that leads to a massive complication, I believe, in our leadership. The moment we think that it all rests with us and all revolves around us, we're building something that I love that I heard BJ say this morning. When we think it all builds around and revolves around us, we're going to build a dynasty, we're not going to build a legacy. 
You see, a dynasty, I'm stealing that, BJ, and I will give you credit wherever I go with that. Because I talk in my church a lot about legacy leadership. But it's so true. You see, dynasty, is, it's with me, and when I die, and we go, oh, what a great dynasty. But that's not what we're called to build for the kingdom. We're called to build legacy. Legacy means that long after you and I have gone, something has been built and established that keeps going for the glory of God. And so our role as leaders is not to know everything or to be everything to our people, but to pour out what we do have. Don't we see that throughout Scripture? Don't we see it with David's mighty men in Samuel there? Three unusual men with unusual names, and they became mighty. I don't recall, and some of you may know the Bible a whole lot better than me, too many other people in Scripture, if any others, that got labelled as mighty men. But three guys with unusual names became mighty one day because they used what they had, they poured out with what they had and were faithful to God with what they had. One of them, his name was Shammah. Now, that's un- you don't think that's unusual. That's very unusual for me because I grew up in, um, and my mum had a toy poodle that was champagne in colour and its name was Shammah. So whenever I read that story, I don't think of a warrior, I think of a poodle. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was Shammah or one of those guys, anyway, it might have been Eliezer, son of Dodo. I mean, again, like, what's he got going for him? What's your dad's name? Dodo. Tough start to life. But one of those guys, what made him mighty is that the thing that he had was a lentil patch and he was told, defend that lentil patch. Now, you can think through why that would have been food for, for the people and whatnot, but that was what made him mighty is that he had a lentil patch and he was faithful to defend that lentil patch from the opposing army and to see a vic- the Lord brought about a great victory. And all three of those men, it reads that the Lord, not them, not Shammah, not Eliezer, says the Lord brought about a great victory. Why? Because they were faithful to pour out what they had, not to sit... I mean, if I was the lentil patch guy, I'm whinging. I've got a lentil patch. Like, at least the first guy, he had a spear, and he threw it, and it killed... At least he looked like a warrior. Lentil patch? Like, that's that's whinge-worthy. Yet he becomes mighty in the sight of God, and God does a miracle through him because he understood something, that as a leader, his job wasn't to know everything and be everything and to have everyone reliant on him. He understood that it was his role to pour out what he had pour out what he had. And so the greatest role I believe that we have as leaders is to minister to people from what we do have, not from what we don't. Okay? What we do have, not what we don't. And I think that's where we get tripped up as leaders. We're trying to give people what we don't have. And I'm going I'm to call that for what it is this morning. That's pride. That's pride in our lives when we feel like we've got to present something to our people that we're not because we feel this pressure to be all things to all people. And I believe it's that sort of a mentality that is causing our churches to stagnate, it's causing leaders to burn out because they're, they're, they're operating out of their grace zone. When you're not pouring out from what you do have and who you are and, and the way God has created you and wired you, if, if you're trying to be all things to all people, then you're, you're stepping out of something that God's graced you for and no wonder we burn the midnight oil and we get frazzled and we get frustrated and we start looking at seek.com.au or the local paper or something else. It's the cause, I believe, of a lot of frustration for leaders and pastors and it's a, it's a cause of 
a lack of effectiveness because how can we ever be effective trying to pour out in areas that that, that we don't have to pour out in? And I'm, I'm going to take this somewhere. I'm just building it up. Rob said it so well this morning. But for us here as the ACC in South Australia... Our vision and our mission for this season and, and the season that God's called me to lead and, and lead with this executive is really, it's actually really simple. It's stripped back. And it's, it's simply around healthy churches, healthy leaders. Healthy things grow. And we're not just talking about numerical growth, right? We're not just talking about churches going from 50 to 100. We're talking about growth, developing of leaders, setting up legacy, when we have healthy environments and healthy conversations and a healthy understanding of who God's called us to be and we have healthy relationship and we have a healthy uh, approach to what God's called us to do, there's going to be growth and development and things are going to spring forth out of health. But it's not just going to happen by talking about it, right? When you've got weeds in your backyard and they're choking up the good plants, what do you do? You've got to get out and get your hands dirty and you've got to go and pull out those weeds, right? You've got to deal with the weeds and then you've got to... Then the good stuff that you want to stay, what do you do? You, you get in there and you fertilise it and you water it. It takes some effort. We can't just sit there and talk about the fact that these weeds are choking our backyard, right? We, we, we get to that point point. we go, okay, this is what's happening, but then we've got to get our hands dirty and we've got to do the work to see the change and transition happening. I've been doing a lot of reading over the Christmas New Year period. That's when I sort of do a lot of uh, extra reading, I suppose, in terms of what's happening going forward for us as a church. And you know, I just like to sort of open up and read a bit more of other things that I might not normally read. And I've been doing a lot of reading around, you know, the, the modern church and some of the cultural trends and some of the challenges that we're facing going forward. And some of my reading led me to a re- research by the Barna Group in the US, and I understand that's the US, not here, but I think there's some trends in that that we can uh, align to. It reports that 90% of churches cannot sustain growth beyond the 200 mark. Now, in the ACC in Australia, if you remove the mega churches, right, churches that are over 1,000, then the average church size in, uh, of the ACC in Australia would be around 50 people. And so today, I'm not here to talk about your church size or to talk about how big you should or shouldn't be, but I'm here to talk today about uh, indicators and, and markers and, and some things that are happening and what I believe we need to rethink in order for us as leaders to take the next steps in what God's called us to. For us to get out of uh, that place where we can see some weeds but actually will get us to move to action to get out there and go, you know what, it's time for those weeds to go. It's time to, it's, it's time to see something new and fresh uh, established. And so today, all I want to do in this session and the time we've got left here today is I just want to pose some things to think about. I'm not going to give you all the answers to it. That's not my job. All right? Some of these things, I want you to go away and I want you to think about them. You might speak about it with your team. Some of them, you might go, oh, I don't think that's really relevant for us. That's fine. Whenever there's a, a chicken meal, just take the, take the flesh, leave the bones. All right? So take, take what works and leave what doesn't. Not everything I'm going to say is going to work for you today. Not everything I'm going to say is going to land with you. But hopefully one or two things will and it'll cause some conversation. Today is a success if you go away from this and you carry on some sort of a conversation with your team and with your people and with your church around the next steps of where you're heading if you go away from today and the conversation ensues around how can we develop more leaders, then today's a success.
So I want to uh, put a few things in front of you today. D.L. Moody says this, the world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him, to God. All right, and so that should encourage us to go, you know what, you might be experiencing a ceiling right now in your ministry, in your church, you might have a leadership ceiling that you're just frustrated over, you might have a team building frustration or a ceiling, but here's the thing, there is no ceiling that you, in Christ and with God that you cannot push through. That's what D.L. Moody, he's saying, you know what, there is n- the world is yet to see what God can do through his people when we're fully reliant, fully consecrated, that word consecrated, fully prepared, fully dedicated. That word consecrate, you know, when it's in um, Joshua 3, you know, Joshua says, come on, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things. You know that word amazing literally translates as miraculous. And he says to the people, come on, prepare to cross over, consecrate. What is he saying? He's saying dedicate yourself. Dedicate yourself to the, to the things of God, to the voice of God, to the purposes and the plans of God. And that's the same for you and I. If, if we're living as leaders dedicated to what God wants to do in our churches and in our leadership and in our regions, then there is absolutely no ceiling that can hold you. Doesn't mean that ceilings aren't hard to push through. We're facing ceilings in our church right now and they're painful. And sometimes uh, pushing through a ceiling ceiling is painful. So it doesn't mean it's pain-free, but the reality is as long as we stay consecrated to God, as long as we stay dedicated to what He wants, not what we want, we can push through these ceilings. I believe it. Churches that push beyond ceilings realize they can't continue to do things the same way they've always done them. They have to organize differently, and that's what I'm here today, just to throw some things at you to get you thinking. They have to change some things. We see that with the tribe of Issachar. I love who they were and what they were about in First Chronicles 12.32. It says that the tribe of Issachar understood the times and they knew what to do. We need a bit of the tribe of Issachar. We need a bit of the, the, the tribe of Issachar about us to go, okay, God, where are we at right now? Where, what are you doing right now? Get an understanding. What's happening? And then say, okay, God, I've got that wisdom download. I've got that understanding of where we're at in our church, where we're at in our leadership. See, that's the whole enlightenment phase. And can I say this? I think a lot of leaders get stuck between enlightenment and making the shift. So we, we work out what's wrong, but then it's almost like we're paralyzed to take the next step and actually do something about changing what is wrong. And I want to challenge that today. I want to stir something in you to go, you know what? Just highlighting what the problem is isn't enough. Highlighting where you're stuck will not get you through. It won't break the ceiling. The thing that will break the ceiling is like the tribe of Issachar. They didn't just understand the times, but they knew what to do. And we need some know-what-to-do moments. And I want to encourage you and your teams, you know, I've been there and I've done it and I've made the mistakes. Brainstorming sessions where you get lots of good ideas down on paper and that never sees tomorrow. But hey, we had a good leadership night because we wrote down, so we understood, and I'm not point, I'm saying I've done this and I've ruled it out of my church now and lead it. We will no longer have a meeting where we just go, here's all the great things we can do. Everyone gets excited and then what happened to that list? It's got to move past understanding and it's got to move to now, this is what we're going to do. Action, strategy. I came up with this little line, I think I shared it at the state meeting, and this is in line with where we're at as a church this year. We're talking about a year of unfamiliar paths, and boy, is that the truth. And I thought that was all positive when 
when God says, yeah, this is going to be a year of unfamiliar paths, you go, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Some of those unfamiliar paths are like, really, God? It's certainly unfamiliar, but you know, well, he's teaching me to be totally reliant on him. But this is one of my taglines. I didn't Google this. This is my own words. I know it's stolen from something similar, but it's still mine. If we keep walking the roads we've always walked, we will continue to get to the destination we've always got to. All right? So we've got to be committed to shifting something up in our leadership. If you're struggling to develop leaders, something needs to shift. And this is the sensitive moment. I'm guessing the shift needs to start with us. You see, in Hope Church, I, got a, I need more leaders. I've got a leadership ceiling. Guess, guess where the problem lies? Or problems for wrong guess where the Guess where it starts? Yeah. I've been, I've been guilty. I've been waiting. Oh, God, surely you can send guru leader along and then everything will be okay. God's going, Josh, why don't you develop guru leader? Who's in front of you that you can pour out? One person, have breakfast with, you know, just one. And I want to suggest that today. Some of you are sitting here going, Josh, I, I don't have a lot of people to choose from. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's just one. Who's the one person that God's saying to you, pour out into them? Who's the one person in your environment right now that you need to start being deliberate with and start to pour out to? All right? If we keep walking the same roads, we're always going to get to the same place we've always got to. Now, what I'm talking about is we, we've got to start rethinking and reorganizing some things. That's really what we're talking about. If we're going to get to a different destination, you've got to reorganize. You've got to go back to the GPS and go, you know what? Those coordinates are not working. And so now I'm going to, pro I'm going to program in a new coordinate, and that coordinate's going to be called... God. All right, because what did the children, what did Joshua uh, do with the people? He said, first consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord's going to do amazing things. Then he said, all right, he told them pick up the ark, right, and the ark had to go first. Why? Presence of God. The presence of God is what led them through their breakthrough. It was the presence of God. The moment the priest carrying the ark put their tootsies into the Jordan, what happened? A miracle. We've got to understand that it's the presence of God that leads us. It's the presence of God that's going to take us to breakthrough and through the ceilings. And so we've got to re-engineer and we've got to be committed to going, okay, I've hit a ceiling, I've hit a wall. How, how can I get through it? A great way for us to illustrate the change that's needed is for me to compare the local corner store or the local deli. I don't know if they exist around here anymore, but... I miss the local deli. There are not many of them left in Adelaide. You know that corner shop where you go and get the Belfer's pie with sauce? Well, I don't know if you'd call it a pie, but anyway. But then you compare it to how the operation of that local store run by mum and dad to how, um, you know, the local supermarket would have to run. Right? In the corner store, right, things are organised very differently to what it is in that next level of supermarket. It's a step up. And so if us as leaders want to take a step up, developing more leaders, we want to see our church take next steps and, and we want to have a greater leadership impact, then we have to reorganise things to go, well, where do we want to be? Where do we want to be? And what do we need to reorganise to get there? Let me explain. So with the corner store, mum and dad run everything. If you want to talk to the CEO, she's stocking the shelves. If you want to see the director of marketing, well, they're operating the cash register. Mum and dad do it all. And so their business is organised, what? To stay small. Now, that's fine if you want to stay small, but that's the way it's organised, right? Mum and dad. But you can't run a supermarket that way. 
right? You organise differently, you govern differently, you hire people differently, you hire managers for the different shifts, you, you um, hire people to stock shelves and you have people who their job is to be on the cashier, you have department managers, you know, uh, that person looks after the dairy section, that person, you're, you're over the meat section and you're over the, the fruit and veg, you know what I'm saying? Like you have to organise differently, you have to start thinking and go, well, if we're going to grow and if we're going to take next steps, we're going to have to organise differently in order to maintain that. And I think us as the church, we can learn from this and it can help us commit ourselves to be positioned in a place for the next step of growth that God wants to bring. And I want to reiterate, growth is not just about attendance on Sunday. Growth is the growth in your people that God's already given you. Because there are people sitting in our churches and we think they don't want to do anything. And I don't think that's necessary. There are some people who don't, there's no doubt. But I'm convinced, and we're seeing it in our church, that people want exactly what Andy Stanley said. They want someone to come along look at them in the eye and say, there's something in you, I believe in you, I trust you, and draw greatness out of them. See, we, we're sitting back sometimes as leaders, come on, and we're waiting, well, they're like, no, it's a privilege to serve. And we've got some old mindsets, yeah, it is a privilege to serve, but why do we make it hard? Jump through four hoops, over 500 ladders, then you've proven yourself to be able to serve. Now, what about us as the leaders? Aren't we as leaders the greatest leadership developers? Isn't it on us to see greatness in people like Andy said and go, you know what, I'm going to pour out into you and I'm going to draw. There's something there and I'm going to draw it out. That's our role. That's our responsibility. And I think we can learn and we can, there are people in our environments. I have another rule in our church. This one will help you. Get your head around this. Do not say someone's no for them. You go, what are you talking about, Josh? You know what I'm talking about. We sit around and we realise, oh man, we need someone to help us oversee and pastor the small groups or, or the, the, the leadership structure of the small groups. And straight away we, we, we look at the role and when we think of the, oh, such and such, yeah, they'd be great at that. What's the next conversation that happens? But they're busy and they have just had a new child and, and they're building a house and they've, they've done it. And so no sooner have we highlighted said person, we've now said no for them for all the reasons that we believe they won't be able to do it. We need, that's not leadership. We've got to quit that out. And we've quit that out in our leadership team. We never say anybody's no for them. No's an acceptable answer, but let the person say no. Because often the reason, the, the person that's best served to do that role is a busy person. That's why they're successful. And so what we need to do is go, you know what, I'm not going to say the no for them. I guarantee you that one out of ten people will say no, but the other nine will say yes. They'll say yes. And we're experiencing that. Why? Because they'll say yes. We've got to get out of this volunteering Sunday. Well, everybody, Mary's no longer serving in the kids' ministry. And uh, Bill, he can't do it anymore. He stubbed his toe on the weekend. So we've got nobody for the kids' ministry. Uh, any volunteers? Oh, yep, you, you. Okay, off you go, kids' ministry. We've got to get out of that mindset. And I know I'm being a little bit cheeky. But we've got to get out. Volunteers are important, but they're, they're, they're leading and they're serving. I want to say that rather than calling for volunteers, let's shift something in our leadership and let's go and recruit and let's find the people and let's draw greatness out of them. It's a shift we've got to make. You want the best people? Go after them. Let them say no. <laughs> so in all of that, I want to give you some things now. 
And I'm, as I said, I'm not going to give you all the answers, and some of this is going to challenge you, but here's some things I believe we need to rethink and we need to have conversations about in your teams and with your people if we're going to get healthy and position ourselves for growth. Here's the first thing. We're going to have fun with this one. <laughs> Number one, rethink the pastor's role. Oh, sacred cow. Rethink the pastor's role. You see, let me, set, let me just give you some context to that. Small corner store, supermarket. Now, I believe small's a mindset, not a number. You can have a ministry to 20 people and your mindset doesn't need to think small. Your mindset can be so big and so kingdom. I love what Pastor Darren Braun is doing in Edithburg, a town of 500, but drawing people from right over the York Peninsula. His vision isn't limited to the town of 500. Their vision is bigger than what the numbers tell them. You see, that's what it means to not think small. So you can be in the smallest town and go, well, Josh, I don't have numbers. doesn't mean you have to be a small thinker. You can be in a small town but be, the, be a big thinker. Right? But in small church, so in a small church mentality, the pastor is the primary caregiver and available to everyone. The pastor does all the weddings, the visits, the funerals, attends every meeting, leads every meeting. Problem is that with this sort of a setup, it's not scalable for growth. All it's going to ensure is that at some point, the pastor is going to get worn out, tired, grumpy and frustrated. Do You know, the greatest uh, challenge I have in leading my church is the expectation of people. It's the expectation of people and if we are going to, if we're going to push through ceilings and really grow and develop leaders, we have to rethink this role and realise it's not all on us and it's not all about us because all that's going to do is wear you out. So we have to rethink the pastor's role. Problem is that with a lot of us as pastors, we're people pleasers. That's why we pastor because we love people. I never want to lose a part of the people pleasing, but I've got to recognise that as a pastor and as a leader, the one I please has got to be God. And I saw a great little post the other day. If I want uh, to be loved, as a pastor, if I want to be loved, I might as well go and sell ice cream. So true. So in rethinking the pastor's role, we've got to understand that, you know what? Not everyone's going to love you. Not everyone's going to love your decisions. So that's the, this is going to be the test of the resolve and the conviction of the calling and the resolve of the, and the conviction of the vision God's given you. Is the vision and the conviction of the vision and what God's called you so strong that even if four people say, I don't love you anymore, Stuart, are you still going to hold and stand firm to what God's put in your heart? That's the challenge. I'm not saying that we should discredit people. I'm not saying that we should be flippant with people and go, well, if you don't love me, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So we've got to rethink it. And rethinking, I'm just going to tell you what it looks like for me at Hope Church. It might look different for you, but you, I would just encourage you to have this conversation. What's happening right now where you need to rethink and go, you know what? I'm building solo at the moment. I need to build team. Everything revolves around me. Everything's on me. It's not sustainable. So what I'm doing in my church is, um, is we're adopting a, a, a model that teaches people to care for each other in small groups. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't care. We do. But I, I have the 31270 going on. 
is a great model for Jesus, I'm sure it can work for us, where I've realized I cannot be all things to all people. So I'm breaking it down to go, okay, who are the people that I can pour out into, who can then pour out into, who can then pour out into? And so we are putting greater empowerment upon our small group leaders at the moment. We are empowering them and equipping them better than we've ever done before. It's only just started this year, but this year for us, we're just going, I'm equipping and empowering small group leaders. Why? Because we want our church to understand that when you're in a small group, you're being pastored, you're being cared for. And so that's one of the ways that we're rethinking the pastor's role, because I'm going to kill myself, not literally, but I'm going to wear myself out if I think I can keep caring for the church myself. I can't. And all I'm doing is feeling like I'm letting people down, I'm disappointed, I'm embarrassed, I feel like um, I'm, I feel like I'm a failure in trying to do it. So I either hit the wall like many pastors do, or I go, you know what, I've got to rethink this. I've got to rethink. It doesn't mean you stop caring, it just means that you set up a greater care network. And you empower more people to care. And these are the things that we've got to think through. And so I talked about that in rethinking it for us. I'm understanding the 3-12-70, all right? The reality is if there's no team, there's no succession. If everything revolves around you, there's no succession. And don't we have, let's be honest, we have that issue here in South Australia and many of our churches. We don't have, we've got some aging pastors and we don't have succession. People are like, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? We've got to build teams. We've got to, be, we've got to understand that it's team. Jesus had a team. Jesus had his three, he had his 12. You know what I mean? He had people around him. And what did he do? He, he imparted to them, but then how often do we talk, read about him sending them out? He sent them out to, to do what? Get lunch? No, to, to go and do ministry. To go and minister. Jesus is like, man, I'm going to have a rest. I'm going to have a bit of a cell. You go and go and minister to some people. And that's what we've got to be doing. We've got to be building a team ministry approach, not a solo ministry approach. So to do that, you've got to rethink the pastor's role. There are some of us, and I'm going to... I get on a plane this afternoon. I go back to Adelaide, and hopefully you keep coming to state meetings. But some of you are senior pastors. You're, it's all in your hands. And if you keep it all in your hands, I'm telling you, you're heading towards a wall that's going to hurt. And I say that with love. I don't say that to be cheeky. But I'm trying to stir something in you to go, come on, whether it's, maybe it's just one person right now, there's just someone you've got to let into your world, you've got to rethink and go, okay, I've got to start looking at this differently. Can I just urge you to start by having the conversation? All right. Some other things that, should I be finishing? Do you want a break or do you want me to keep going? Yeah, cool. Don't need a break. Pauline, it's all right. Is it? You want me to keep going? Or? Okay. Here's some other things that it's really important for us to rethink. Right? Some of you are going to struggle on this one. But once I've explained it, you'll be all good again. Right? Develop a strategy. What, Josh? But no, we're spirit-led. We're spirit-led. Yeah, so are we. I just spoke about it. It's the presence of God. Man, prayer and, and the presence of God is before all that we do. But we need to develop a strategy about how we're going to move forward, how we're going to develop leaders. If we plan, fail to plan, we... No, hang on, I got that back to front. If we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Some people, pastors, struggle with this sort of terminology because... Not be, and they try to spiritualise it, but I think it's just because of laziness. 
Who said that? We don't want to put the work in. We go, oh, no, strategies and plans. No, 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 no. We, the Spirit leads us. Yes, the Spirit does lead us. But doesn't the Spirit give us wisdom? <laughs> doesn't the Spirit download to us truth so that we can then put something together? Go, okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. You've just downloaded a strategy. You know, we, we, that's where we're at right now. We've been seeking God for about three or four weeks around um, our growth plan for the next phase of our church. And it was only about a week ago I sat with one of my team and they put something together. And I said, I think that's God. And they go, why do you think that? I said, because I don't want to change it. <laughs> I, I, I don't actually want to... I'm not even going to touch it. That's, that must be God. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're developing plans now, but we believe it's been birthed. And one of our leaders, I, I, God bless him, he, he, he loves to intercessory pray. If I pray, prayer, intercessory prayer. Anyway, he texts me and he goes, Josh, I just really believe that right now God is giving you strategy for the next season. He didn't know what we were doing. And literally, it was in the same week. And I just said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are, yes, you're giving us strategy for the next season. For those that are not sure and go, oh, what is all this strategy about? I'd just say go and read Habakkuk chapter 2, right? Talks about a vision or a revelation. And it's told, write it down. Make it plain, so that I'm giving you the Joshua Bridge version, so that others can run with it. Isn't that a plan? Isn't that a strategy? Isn't that what vision and revelation is, a plan and a strategy? And the leader there is told, write it down. Don't just hold it to yourself. Man, there's something in this. Sometimes we're getting stuff and we're holding it to ourselves and going, all right, thank you, God, and we think we have to run now and with our big broad shoulders be guru leader and make it all happen. What did he say to him? He said, write it down, make it plain, so that others around you can see it and run with it. That talks to me of a team coming together around who can see what the mandate is, see what the vision is, see what the strategy is, see what the plan is, align their lives to it and help bring it to fruition. So I believe in strategies and plan. You go, well, Josh, how do I do that? The word strategy just scares me. It's as simple as this. This is how you come up with a strategy. Right? All you've got to do is go... Two questions. Where am I? Three questions. Where am I? Right? So that's the first part of the conversation. A real honest assessment of where are we at? Write down the gaps in your leadership. We've done that. I actually wrote down, okay, where are the gaps? What do I need to fill? Because I believe this. Some, if it's not written, it's not real. So much happens in our headspace. But if it's not written, it's not real. Thank goodness that the Word of God's written. It's real. <laughs> so write a list. Be really honest with yourself. And even let a couple of people around you be honest. Don't be, don't be offendable and precious. Let a couple of your key people go, well, I think this is where we're at. This is how you start to get to strategy. All right, where do we want to be? Where do we want to be? So you now create another series of conversation. This is where we're at, but this is where we want to be. So today it might be, we want to, I want to develop 10 new leaders. I want new Christians. I want this, I want that. Write down who they are, what they are. Then what strategy? Strategy is simply the third question. How do we get there? You do that, you will formulate a strategy. That's all strategizing is. You don't need to get some guru. You don't need to get, you know, Bill Gates in or um, 
whoever. You don't need to get some rocket scientist to come in and go, we need a strategy. You don't need a life coach. You don't need that. You just need to ask some questions. Where are we? Where do we want to be? How are we going to get there? All of a sudden, you've now developed a strategy to break through. So develop a strategy. Third thing, let leaders lead. Let leaders lead. Don't micromanage. Let leaders lead. Don't be afraid to let people shine. I've got a young guy that's starting to preach in our church, and he's a phenomenal preacher. He's 22 years of age. It's not fair. Our church love him. He's done Bible college. He's done his marketing. He's done business. He's done all this stuff. In Bible college, he wrote a book because as a part of the thing, they wrote a, so he wrote a book on discipleship, Smarty Pants. Rob's written books. I've written nothing. But I can genuinely say, every time he preached, the last time he preached, I was away, and I'm getting text messages, and this includes my parents. This is not just the young people, people of all ages. Oh, he was incredible. We love him. He relates. Oh, man, he should preach more often. <laughs> but do you, know, do you know genuinely, and I'm not just saying this because it's the right thing, do you know genuinely, you know what my response to that is? Awesome. That's exciting for me. But it's not exciting for me if I think it all revolves around me. If I'm insecure about others shining. So if we want to develop leaders, then guess what? Let them lead. Let them lead. I'm going to talk in the, at some point. Um, I'll give you some practicals around how to, how to actually empower people to do that. The next thing is empower your volunteers. Empower. So these are the conversations we need to be having. Empower your volunteers. What does that mean? Put trust into them. Put belief into them. Give them the tools that they need to grow. Help them succeed. Well, Josh, I did it the hard way, so so can they. There's just something you learn by doing it the hard way. Look, there might be some truth to that. But is that the legacy we want to leave to our natural kids? Is that what, you do? Is that what we do to our kids? Well, suffer in your jocks. I did it the hard way, and so will you, sunshine. So if we don't do that to our own kids, why would we do that in our churches? Here's the thing. We all know this. Every generation will have its own set of challenges. We don't need to be the ones to put them through the test. They're going to get their own pressures, and they're going to, they're going to go through their own stuff. Every generation does. remember a pastor saying to me when um, we planted the church and then took over another church and inherited a building, and he goes, oh, Josh, oh, easy, you know, easy for you. You haven't had to go through the test, though. You've had it, got it the easy way. And uh, I reckon there's some tests coming your way. I said, oh, thank you. I feel encouraged. That's great. It's just a mentality. I don't, I'm just like, why? But have I gone through my own stuff? Of course. But I didn't need anyone, any leader above me to go, well, I'm just going to make it really hard for you because you've got to learn something, sunshine. No, I, I needed some leaders to, make, to give me some leg ups and to make it easy because there are some things that I'm going to face in life that are going to be hard enough as it is without my, anyone around me making it harder for me. So empower your volunteers. Set them up to win. Encourage them. Leave a legacy for them. I just want to add in there John Maxwell's law of connection. A leader always touches a heart before he asks for a hand. Let's not treat our volunteers as people who are there to tick boxes and get jobs done. Get to know them, know their name, know their passions. 
Know what they were about. Know their family. Know what they're struck. Know them. Connect with them. The more you connect with them personally and relationally, you empower them. You empower them. Okay. Next thing, we will have a quick break in a minute, almost there, is stop micromanaging. So we give Rob something to do. We go, Rob, I'd really like you to start um, being on the hosting team on Sundays and so I want you to be the head usher and, and Rob, we really trust you to hand out the offering containers. Rob, would you like to accept that role? Rob's all excited. Sunday, his first Sunday, it's his maiden voyage of passing the container. He's been practicing at home all week, you know, passing it, running around to the other side. He, he's been practicing. Sunday comes. I am obviously taking the mickey here, but hopefully it proves a point of what we do sometimes to people around us. We give them responsibility. But how ridiculous would it look on Sunday? I'm the pastor. I've said, you know what, Rob, I want you to do this role. Offering time comes on Sunday. Rob's been practicing, man. He, he's ready to give his best to the offering container passing. As soon as the offering containers come out, I'm up out of my seat and I'm following around Rob like this, over his shoulder, just making sure his hand's not going in there. Rob, that's not how you pass it. Rob, that, that person hasn't finished. Fi you know what I mean? That's, my, that's, what, that's, micro, that's micromanaging. We've got to stop it. Some of the greatest way that we learn and develop is through what? Getting it wrong. Getting it wrong. So you go, Josh, that's ridiculous, as if you'd do that on Sunday. No, you, well, hopefully we wouldn't. But some of us are doing that in our leading of people. We're saying, on one hand, we want to empower you, but then we're hovering over them like this. Rob, what are you doing with that? Rob, why do you do it like that? Rob, Rob why? Rob, don't do it like Rob. You tuck your shirt in. Rob. And we wonder why people aren't feeling empowered. Just got to stop micromanaging. We've got to empower and entrust and put belief. You know what? I say to my team, and I say this, and I know at some point I'm going to have a mess to clean up, but I'm all committed to it. Because I say to every single one of my leaders, err on the side of confidence, because no matter what, even if you make a mistake, I'm going to have your back. Even if you make a mistake, I've got your back. So our team know that if they step out and do something and they get it wrong, that we're going to have their back. So if someone comes up and goes, Josh, did you see what such and such did today? I can't believe it. That was terrible. They were awful. I'm going to defend. I'm going to go, no, man, I'm, I'm going to have their back. Even if I go, you know what? What this person's saying right now is true. They've totally stuffed up. My leadership team know that I've got their back. Why? Because I'm putting trust and you learn through your mistakes. You don't learn through having someone micromanage you. Stop micromanaging. The moment you do, that's where trust is going to kick into your leadership. Trust will kick in. Okay. Last one, which seems a bit odd, but here's some things I want you to think about in your context. Simplify your programming. Simplify programming. I believe that these are conversations we need to be having as leadership if we're going to continue to take people forward, if we're going to grow people and if we're going to grow leaders, right? What is this all about? Get rid of all the clutter. Work out what God's graced you for and just focus on a couple of things rather than a whole lot of things, all right? Live uncluttered. We heard about that from Matt Hines at our recent meeting. Less is more and I believe that's the case. 
simplify your programming. Our natural bent sometimes as leaders is when we're struggling or things aren't working, we, we, we add more to the menu, thinking that somehow if the menu's fuller, it's going to work. It doesn't work. All it does is add more pressure and weight to a team of people who, are try who believe in you, they love you, and they want to serve you. But when you keep cluttering up the program, we make it hard for people to commit to it because it's confusing. But when things are stripped back and simplified, it allows our teams and allows people and the leaders we're developing to really focus and to really go, you know what, rather than doing um, really well, sorry, rather than doing really poorly with many things, we're going to be really good at doing a few things. And that's, that's been our approach at Hope. We've stripped everything back. We've stripped everything back and go, okay, what are we called to do? And so we've got four really key things at Hope. And they're, this is what we live by. Encounter, engage, equip, and extend. Encounter is all about Sundays. When people come together, together, where they have an encounter with God and they encounter his presence. We want to be a church that creates an encounter. We're a church that's about engagement. Small groups, growth track. So when you come to our church, there's going to be a pathway for you to engage. So you no longer just sit on a seat, but you take a step in and you engage in the life of the church. Then there's the whole side of equip. We want to be a church that's about equipping and empowering you for life. Whether it's within the four walls of the church or outside, whatever it is, we want to help you realize the dreams, the gifts, the talents, the, the shape that God's given you. And the last thing is we want to be a church that extends, that we look to our community and we look to our world. Those are, those are our four lenses for everything we do. That simple. We do Sunday services, we do small groups, right? We don't have men's ministry and women's ministry. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying we've determined for our church that we're going to simplify and we're going to work out what God's graced us for. And for us, it's weekend services, it's small groups, it's the growth track, which for us is all about how people can develop and grow as leaders and give back. And then it's community. That's it for us. We don't have all these other programs and all these other things going on. We just don't do it. Not because they're right or wrong, but we've decided, you know, we're going to simplify and we're going to focus and we're going to live uncluttered and we're going to develop people around that. I would encourage you to do that, to look at your program, to look at what's going on in the life of your church. And if you're struggling right now for leaders and you've got so much going on, maybe you need to simplify and go into a season of developing leaders. Lord, I thank you this morning, Lord, for this opportunity we've had to chat. God, I pray that through this conversation, that each one of us would be challenged, but also encouraged. God, I pray that we'd be a people, and churches and leaders committed to seeing people grow, to seeing leaders developed, to seeing legacy left. And God, we pray that right across this state of South Australia, Lord, in the season that you've got us in, Lord, we pray for health in our churches, we pray for health in our leadership. And God, I pray that each one of these things that we've discussed today, God, I just pray that you would permeate them, Lord, through our thinking and just through our meditation. Lord, and I just pray that those things that we need to give attention to, God, that we'd be committed to it. In Jesus' name, amen.